You're listening to the Beach Haven Podcast. This week's message is the sixth in our series titled, Jesus on Every Page. Without further ado, our lead pastor, Rob Timms. And um, you turn your Bible to Exodus chapter 12, where um, your app will be in verses 21 to 27, where, where Joe read from uh, just a moment ago. Um, as we continue in this series, Jesus on Every Page, it's been our quest to look at some of the core passages in the Old Testament, even some in the New, and, and illustrate for all of us that the, the Bible is full of, of pointers, of foreshadowing, of ways that it's showing that Jesus is coming. Jesus has always been the plan. His life, His death, His resurrection, what He accomplished on our behalf was always, always the plan. And all the things that we've been looking at in the Old Testament have been been a demonstration of that. And we're going to do the same today as we come together and take the Lord's Supper together from Exodus chapter 12. Um, So this past uh, fall, I got to go to my first UGA football game in person. And I, I know, it was awesome. So I took my, my um, eight-year-old son, Luke, went with me, and a, and a church family invited us, shared their tickets with me. And um, it was really, really wonderful opportunity. I'm so glad that we got to do that. And one of the things that, that strikes you, the, especially the, not just the first time, but especially the first time you go to something that big on that kind of scale is the sheer number of traditions that are associated with the entire experience. So even just walking the mile or so from where we parked to get to the stadium, one of the things I noticed is that the tailgating scene is pretty strong at UGA. So I grew up in Mississippi going to a Mississippi State football game, which is like wah, wah. Okay. So, but, um, but even worse back in the eighties, but here, like it's a really strong tailgating scene. Lots of schools do it, but here it's strong. There are 100,000 people on any given Saturday at a home game down there taking in uh, the food and festivities uh, before the game. I don't know what you laughed at when I said festivities, but I'll let you just mind, your mind can just wander about what they're taking in other than food, okay? So, but a pretty strong scene. Then there's the dog walk, right? So if you go over to um, the, the parking lot, uh, Tate Center, and there for two hours and 15 minutes prior to the game, there the players are walking through, and the coaches are walking through and there's a crowd, thousands of people line up that walk and you can participate in the dog walk and get pretty excited about the game from there. But then it gets, and, but lots of schools do that too, right? Not at that parking center, right? Not at that stadium, but they have a kind of a walk to the stadium thing. But then it gets a little more unique. It gets more custom. You have a, the true experiences that are associated with a part of the UGA game, right? So you have the, the hedges, you have the between the hedges. In fact, when I went to the game, I sat down in the seats and I was just kind of taking it all in and I pulled out my phone and I took a, pic, took a picture of the entire experience and I sent it to my brother and my dad. So my brother's uh, 40, about four or five years younger than me and I sent it to my, my dad on the same text thread and my brother responded in quotes, fringe benefits, which is a reference to the fact that the, sometimes the pastor gets tickets to games, right? Um, so I didn't have to pay for those seats. But my dad responded in quotes, between the hedges. That's how he knew the state. He did not know it was Sanford Stadium. He referred to it as between the hedges, right? It's, it's this beautiful, you know what it is. Here it is. It's this beautiful emerald green five by five hedge. It's like, it's literally like when I grew up, you would hear people pray, Lord, just put a hedge of protection around so-and-so who's going through so-and-so. We literally have a hedge of protection around the sacred field at Sanford Stadium, right? That's something that's unique. It's a part of the tradition of what it means to be at a UG 
UGA game. Then, of course, there is our fight song, the battle hymn of the Republic, right? So you know what this feels like if you've been to a game. It's just a few minutes before kickoff. The whole band is out on the field except for one guy, guy, dude or dudette who's up with a trumpet on the south side, way up, and they play the first few notes of this song. And then the, you know, the highlight reel starts playing and, and, and the fight's on that. Now, if you're not pumped up for a game at this point, you, there's something wrong with you, right? I was pumped up for my first game against Ball State at this point, right? So if you're not pumped up for a real game at that point, like there's really, like you're in at that point, that tradition kind of reels you in. But then of course there is, okay, there is the, the famed 2019 Sports Illustrated named Ugga the greatest college football mascot of all time. Of all time. Not this year or that year, but of all time. This is, this is as good as it's ever going to get in college football in America. Right here. That's amazing, right? That's a tradition. And, um, and, and we've had Q for the last year, years. Now we've got, we've got Boom leading us. 70 years we've been, we've been doing this with a with a bulldog. These are really powerful traditions. They are so powerful that if you were going to change some of these traditions, that would be like changing Georgia itself, right? Because there are some traditions that are so tightly bound to the thing they celebrate that to change that tradition is to change the thing itself. Let me say that again. There are some traditions that are so tightly bound to the thing that they celebrate that if you change the tradition, you change the thing itself. How do you think people would respond if we moved the dog walk from Tate to the stadium to Broad Street? What if we, what if we just changed that whole atmosphere to be one that's a little more commercial, lets you, you know, grab a drink on the way into the game? Not that I'm encouraging you to grab a drink on the way to the game, but what if, we, what if we moved that to Broad Street and made that more like a parade instead of a dog walk? How would that sit with the people who look forward to the tradition of the dog walk? What if the powers that be decided that, for whatever reason, that the hedge around the field was no longer beneficial or necessary or helpful to the game, that we no longer needed a hedge of protection around our sacred field, and they removed that hedge. How do you think the city and the fans would respond to that kind of change in tradition? How would that go? What if instead of the battle hymn of the Republic, the powers that be decided that we needed a new fight song. You know, not Rocky Top, but something that kind of sounds like Rocky Top or, you know, whatever they do at Alabama, not that, but something kind of like that. We need something fresh. We need a new fight song that, that, that resembles something more of the other schools. What if, what if that was their goal? What if we made that? How would you all like that? What if this fall you got there and instead of the trumpet player doing that, he started playing something totally different? Nope, right? What if instead of a bulldog, an American bulldog, the powers of it be decided to switch breeds on us and they went French bulldog? Or maybe, you know, something a little more hypoallergenic, like a golden doodle, okay? Something like that. How would that be, right? How would that sit with you, lovers of this fine institution? It's changes in those really meaningful traditions associated with this great university that I hope help you feel the weight of just how powerful traditions can be. 
The hedge is not the game. The hedge is not the institution. It's just a hedge. But pastor, it's not just a hedge. It's a tradition associated with the institution. It's a, it's a tradition that's so tightly tied to the institution itself that if you changed the tradition, you would in effect be changing the institution. It's not just a dog. It's Uga. If you change the dog, you change Georgia right? Because the tradition is so tightly tied to the institution that if you change the tradition, you are changing the institution. Traditions are powerful when they get tied to the thing that they represent itself. If you think traditions are powerful in institutions like the university, how much more so are traditions powerful in religion? I think traditions run far deeper and more powerfully in religion than they ever will in college football, and they run powerfully and deep in college football, right? And one of the most important, if not the most important tradition within the religion of Judaism is the tradition of Passover that we just read about from Exodus chapter 12. Now let's remember where we were so that we can understand how we got here in Exodus chapter 12. You'll remember two or three weeks back, we looked at the life of Abram and God called Abram out of Babylon, out of modern day Iran and called him to form a new people. He says, I want you to leave all your people and I want you to go to this land. It's about 500 miles away is where he landed. And this is the land I'm gonna give you and your descendants. You're gonna have more descendants than there are sand in the earth. You're gonna have more descendants than there are stars in the sky at this location, at this place. This is gonna be where your descendants are. And Abram, believed God and that belief in it was credited to him as righteousness. But there were these periods of doubt. Who wouldn't doubt? He was a hundred years old. He didn't have a kid yet. How's he going to get descendants? But in that moment where, where Abram was really broken and really down and out and, and really doubting, God gave him a picture of how things were going to unfold. He said, Abraham, it's going to be several hundred years before your people come back here. In fact, it's going to be a generation, then another generation, and then that generation through Joseph. He's going to end up prince of Egypt. And Joseph becomes prince of Egypt, which is a great, great, great grandson of Abraham, right? And Joseph lands there, and his 11 brothers, his 10 or 11 brothers come, and they, in the famine, they needed food, right? And Joseph was over the land, so he gave them food. And that brought all of Joseph's brothers and all of his family into Egypt. And there they stayed, and there they became part of the Egyptian culture, but they stayed Jewish there. And they grew and they grew and they grew and they grew to the point where you had seven figures of Jewish people inside this Egyptian culture. And it was just as God promised Abraham it would be. 400 years, the Jewish people grew up into and in the Egyptian land. So much time passed and they grew so quickly and so large in that time period that some of the Egyptian leaders, they'd forgotten Joseph. They'd forgotten who he was, what he had done. They'd forgotten Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's favor on the, the Jewish people and they began to feel threatened by them. And so they enslaved them all. So the Jewish people, rather than being favored by the Egyptians, became enslaved by the Egyptians and began to serve them in their slave labor and other 
roles. And it was a miserable existence. And they began to cry out to God. God, what are you going to do? God, what are you going to do? God, you made a promise. God, you made a promise. And God remembered. And he raised up a man called Moses and Aaron to lead God's people, the Jews, out of Egypt and into this promised land, the land four or five, several hundred years before that Abraham had been promised. So, as you can imagine, Pharaoh was not real keen on losing a million or more slaves. How detrimental would that be to his economy? How detrimental would that be to his ego as a deity in his mind? So he was not keen on this. And so the Lord instituted a number of plagues. And every one of these plagues was an affront to the Egyptian deity system, Pharaoh included. And so there's plague after plague after plague after plague. And finally, we come to this place where the last plague is going to be the death of every firstborn in the Egyptian families. Not, not, not just the royalty, but also the slaves in the dungeon. And the livestock too, the firstborn of every Egyptian will be killed by the Lord. The Lord is going to take their life. And in that moment, when they are destroyed, Pharaoh's heart will break and he will say, go Jews, go, go to your promised land. We do not want you in our world anymore. That's what's coming. And so the Lord gives Moses some specific instructions about how this is going to work. And that's where we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 12, verses 21 through 23. Let's read this together. I want to highlight some things as we go. The Moses called all the elders of the Israel together, and he said to them, and this is what God has just said to Moses in chapter prior, go pick out a lamb or a young goat for each of your families and slaughter the Passover animal. Drain the blood into a basin, take a bundle of hyssop branches and dip it into the blood and brush the hyssop across the top and the sides of the door frames of your houses. So you get them, everybody's got a lamb, everybody's got a goat. They get a, a spotless lamb, a spotless goat, a pure goat, a pure lamb, one of those two. And they, they, they kill the animal and they drain the blood into a bucket and they take hyssop branches, just a really rudimentary broom or a brush and they dip it into the blood. And then they take that brush and they, they up and down the door frame of their house over across the top as well. So the sides and the blood. Entry into the home is covered by the blood. Entry into the home is covered by the blood of a spotless lamb. And no one may go out through the door until morning. The home is sealed by the blood of the lamb. For the Lord will pass through the land to strike down the Egyptians. But when he, the Lord, sees the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe, the Lord will pass over your home. He will not permit his death angel to enter your house and strike you down. Now, here's what I need you to understand about this moment right here. It's coming right out of the text, right? The death angel is coming. The judgment for the firstborn of all things is coming. The Lord is going to pass through and strike down the Egyptians. But when he sees the blood of a spotless lamb on top and the sides of the doorframe, he's going to pass over your home. The Lord is not passing over the home of Jews. The Lord is passing over 
the home where there is the blood of a spotless lamb over the doorposts and the frames. God is not a God tied to any one people group. God is a God tied to people who believe and trust in him by faith and obedience to his word. If an Egyptian family overheard Moses giving these instructions, or remember, they're all slaves. They're embedded within the Egyptian families in many cases. And the Egyptian goes, man, the Jews are up to something. Moses has told them to do this and an angel is coming. I think we better do this. I think we better kill a spotless lamb and put blood over our doorposts just in case this thing is real. And if they did it in that much belief, belief in whatever God had revealed to them in that time, when the death angel come, he'd pass right over their house because what matters is belief and trust and obedience to what God has said. That's what makes you right with God. Not where you're from, who your people are. God doesn't have a favorite nation. God doesn't have a favorite people. God is a God of faith and obedience to his word. Likely, there are also Jews who said, whatever, 400 years of this slavery, God doesn't care. I want, he wants, he doesn't, he's not gonna come through. I don't believe this for one minute. We've been praying and praying and praying and nothing's happened. Why should I believe this happens now? I'm going to bed. And the death angel would have come. And if there's no blood of the doorpost or a Jewish family, then the firstborn was killed that night because God is a God of faith and obedience to his word. He credits as righteousness to those who believe and trust in what he has said. He will not permit his death angel to enter your house and strike you down. Look at verse 24. Remember, Moses says, remember, these instructions are a permanent law that you and your descendants must observe forever. I want you to think about that. This is happening. This is going to happen. And Moses, in this moment, before it's happened, Moses says, now what's getting ready to happen is something that we will never forget because we're going to ceremonially celebrate it every year over and over again. It will be a tradition. When you enter the land the Lord has promised to give you, you will continue to observe this ceremony. And then your children will ask, what does this ceremony mean? And you will reply, uh, this, you know, this reminds me, it was when I went to the game with, with Luke. He was my eight-year-old. He was like, you know, ADHD on fire. Like just everything was his whole mind was just blowing up. And he's like, why is this person doing this? And why are we singing that? And why are they dressed like this? What are those people doing over there? Is that ice inside the doghouse? Like he was going on and on and on. Like what, all the, all the traditions he was so, he was like, what am I experiencing that? Can, can you make sense of what it is that I'm in meshing like now? This is crazy, right? And this is what Moses is saying. You're gonna, you're gonna practice this ceremony where there's bread and there's wine and there's herbs and there's bitterness and there's all this stuff that you're going to do and you're going to be observing this ceremony and your children are going to ask, what is this that we're doing? Make sense of this for me. What, what does this ceremony mean? And, and you will reply, says Moses, it's the Passover sacrifice for the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt because they had blood on the door. And though he struck the Egyptians who did not have blood on the door, he spared our 
families because we did have blood on the door. We were covered by the blood. That's what it means. It, it means that there was this moment where God provided a sacrificial lamb and, and blood that covered over us that when death came and when judgment came, we weren't killed. We weren't judged because we were covered by the blood, right? And when Moses finished speaking, if you want to feel the weight of this, when Moses finished speaking, all the people's bowed down to the ground and worshiped. So what I want you to do, I want you to kill a lamb. It's coming hundreds of years. Y'all, it's coming, it's happening tonight. You better sacrifice a lamb because death and judgment is coming and you put it over the blood and you go in there and you don't come out until the morning because there's gonna be weeping and wailing because there's gonna be so much death in Egypt. You've never seen anything like this. And we're going to be set free and we're going to go to the promised land. And year after year after year after year, we will never let ourselves forget this moment. And just hearing that this was going to happen, just hearing how permanent of a tradition this would be in their life, they knelt down and they worshiped, right? And they did this for not 70 years like we have a bulldog, not 40-something years for a battle hymn of Republic. I don't know how old those hedges are. They're pretty healthy. I've been there a while. Not that long, but for thousands of years. This is what the Jewish people did. Every year, every year, they would celebrate the Passover. Every year, they would remember our people were relieved. Our people were, were liberated from the slavery in Egypt. Our people were redeemed out of Egypt. God fulfilled his promise for the promised land. God sent death, but we were covered by the blood. God sent death, but we were covered by the blood. And we will never forget. We will never, ever forget. So you can imagine just how significant this moment was in Matthew 26, verse 26, when Jesus entered into a room to celebrate this Passover with his Jewish disciples as a Jewish rabbi, and he said something completely different than what you're supposed to say when you celebrate Passover. Jesus changed the tradition as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it into pieces and he gave it to the disciples. And he said, hey, do y'all remember the story in Passover back in Egypt? When we were told that because we were going to have to leave so quickly, we needed to make bread, but we couldn't put yeast in it and let it rise. And so we just had this nasty flat stuff without all the, the, the gooey, chewy goodness that bread is supposed to have. And the reason why is because a death angel was coming and he was gonna kill the firstborn of all who didn't have the blood over their doorpost. And then we were liberated through that death and Pharaoh sent us out, but we had this bread and we, because we didn't put any yeast in it because we had to leave too fast, we, we couldn't do that. It's not what Jesus said. It's not what Jesus did. He broke tradition. He broke it the bread into pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat, not in remembrance of the Passover, but do this, this is my body 
This bread being broken in front of you is no longer symbolic of the thousands of years of history about the Passover and Exodus and the Passover from Egypt. It is actually symbolic of my body being broken on the cross in just a few hours for you. Passover doesn't mean what it meant. It now means what I say it means. And then he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them each. And he said, each of you drink from it. Why? Because, because of the blood of the lamb in Exodus in Egypt? To remember that as a representation of that? No, no. Eat it. And drink from it, for this is my blood, my blood, my blood, my blood. This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Why was a lamb killed in Egypt? It was a sacrifice in order to provide coverage from the death angel coming through. And as long as you obeyed and you were covered by the blood, then you were in it. And that liberated you from Egypt, that liberated from slavery, that redeemed you from slavehood. And Jesus is saying, now the Passover means something completely different. The tradition is changing. I'm changing the tradition. It doesn't mean yeast, bread without yeast and running out in a hurry. And it doesn't mean a sacrificial lamb put over your door so that you could be free from slavery. Actually, what it means is I am liberating you from something much bigger than slavery. I am paying the price for your sin. I'm not making you right and sending you to a promised land. I'm making you right and sending you to the promised land to be with the Lord. Do you see what Jesus has done? Some traditions are so tightly bound to the thing that they celebrate that to change the tradition is to change the thing itself. And that's exactly what Jesus has done with the Passover. In fact, he's even saying this, the Passover itself in Egypt, the Passover in Exodus was always pointing and foreshadowing the work that he would do on the cross it was always pointing to that. And the Jews would practice it for thousands of years, getting to this place where they would hopefully see that who Jesus is and what he's done was the fulfillment of the original Passover, the original tradition. But Jesus in this moment breaks it here. He says, the tradition is this. It's not about slavery in Egypt anymore. It's about freedom from slavery of sin. Aren't you glad that the tradition has changed? Oh, we don't like to change tradition. Because traditions that are tied so closely to the institutions themselves, to change the tradition is to change the institution. And yet Jesus has changed the institution and he's done it so that you could be right with him. So this morning we come to this table. We come because Jesus changed the tradition. He fulfilled the tradition. What it was always pointing to all along. So this morning, if you're a believer I invite you to the table. If you're a Christian, if you believe and trust in the work of Jesus on your behalf to make you right before God and you are doing your level best by the power of the Spirit to walk in obedience to Him, living out gospel truth, sharing gospel truth with this world, I invite you to this table because this is representative of the body and the blood that has been broken for you to make you right with Him. And we do this ceremony. I can remember here children right now. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Because Jesus said to do this and remember the cross not redemption from slavery, remember redemption from sin. So I invite you to this table. 
And if you're not a Christian this morning, then I invite you to observe. Like a child asking, what's this all about? Well, this is what it's about. We remember the death of Jesus who lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. And he was killed unjustly as God wanted him to be and sacrifice for our sin and payment for, for our rebellion against him. And if we trust in it, if we believe in it, then he declares us to be just as holy as Jesus was. And we can be in a right relationship with him by trust in who he is and what he's done. And so we do this ceremony every four to six weeks around here to remind ourselves and preach this great truth to us that, that we believe and we trust in the work of Jesus on our behalf. So if you're not a believer, observe. And afterward, let's enter into a conversation and talk about it. We'll have a lot, plenty of time this, this after the service today to talk, and I hope that you will engage. Now you can see there are uh, four tables here. So if those of you in this uh, side of the room. If you'll go to the wall and then come uh, and take your elements. And then also those of you that are in the middle, you guys can split right down the middle and you can come to either table. Those of you on the right, we've got um, some set up over here. If you run out, there's more than enough on this table for both of you. So as you come, you can go there. Now here's a word, okay? Practical word. We've double cupped you this time. Underneath the juice um, is a cup with the bread in it. And uh, hey, in modern times, it's gluten-free as if it already didn't taste bad enough, okay? It's gluten-free. So let me pray for you and um, 